Welcome to Where Work Meets Life. I'm Dr. Laura. I am a psychologist, business leader, author, speaker, and advocate. I'm passionate about bringing experts from around the world to you with a variety of topics at the intersection of where work meets life. I'm excited to be doing this podcast to educate, share knowledge, and raise awareness. Thank you for joining me, and I look forward to being here with you today. I'm thrilled to be bringing you our first guest on this podcast, Mr. Philip Van Houten, coming to us all the way from Belgium. Philip is a thought and practice leader around smarter working and careers. He's the author of the Smarter Working Manifesto, and his interests have converged on one key goal, accelerating the realization of human potential. Philip's career spans decades in the high-tech industry, and I met him in this industry five years ago when he was working at Plantronics, and we had an immediate connection around smarter and distributed work. He also has a passion about bringing health and joy to work and about nature deficit disorder and how we can bring nature into work and work more in nature, which is why he founded Ozadi, which means there'll never be just another day at the office. Philip has a degree in applied economics and engineering from Belgium with a major in marketing, and he loves bringing together talent from across the Atlantic. He spends half of his time in Belgium, he spends time living in Austin, and he could be found frequently speaking at South by Southwest in Austin. Join me in welcoming someone I truly admire, Mr. Philip Van Houten. So my first question, Philip, Tell us how you are influencing how people work and live today. Good question. Well, the first thing is I have to uh, share my mission. My mission in life at this very moment is to accelerate the adoption of smarter working. Uh, As you well know, five years ago, I wrote the book, The Smarter Working Manifesto, which is available in five languages for the simple reason that I big time enjoyed the journey towards smarter working and all the benefits that came with it. So four years ago, I stepped off the corporate treadmill and rather than building my own consultancy company, I decided to work through others as follows. First of all, education establishments. I uh, had worked already for a while with the Politecnico di Milano, which is a a business school. Today, uh, I work with the Digital University of Poland and I coach them with their curriculum and delivery. Then I work with assessment and benchmarking players like Leesman and of course Work Evolution, where I'm a mentor and advisor in how they develop their business. And then I also work with select consulting companies like Veltun and Company, an activity-based working consultancy boutique firm. And I support them and advise them and help them. Then what I also have done for a long while is I evangelize or I bang the drum on uh, on key networking platforms like WorkTech, which started in London, the IFMA and the Workplace Evolutionaries, where we work together in Canada. And then occasionally, some people say, we don't want these, uh, I would say, 
these, these specialists, we want you. And then I say yes, but only on condition that there is a big halo effect that will come from these uh, assignments. So I work with the Belgian health authorities, which want to be a lighthouse for smarter working. And now I'm working with Axel Springer, uh, which is a media house, which basically wants to do the same thing in Poland and beyond. So what I do with these folks is I remove anxieties, I convince the leaders, I help them steer the education, I animate. And then an important thing is that last week, you want to know, we just founded a European smart work network, right? Uh, it's an extension of something that was already available in the UK. And I've gathered six country leads that was going to be exchanging best practice, which is much needed at this moment. Unbelievable. You really amaze me by your energy and by bringing people together all over the world. And you have a knack for bringing the right people together, Philip. So thank you for all you're doing to really push this mission of smarter work forward. For those who don't understand what smarter work is, would you be able to just do a quick definition for us? Yes. Well, smarter working, uh, as per your intro, is a holistic approach that basically helps people to uh, appreciate the many ways in which work can be done. Right? And of course, work is very different by industry, by know-how work, transaction work. And we ask people to focus on what the type of work is to begin with, yeah? be it rituals or very strict elementary things. And then we ask them to appreciate the various support uh, elements for that, be it physical space, technology, or uh, the social infrastructure that goes with it. And there's quite a lot of facets in it, and that requires a bit of education. And all of that is covered in the book, of course, but the book has already evolved uh, for me quite a lot because of the latest understandings of human factors of working. Excellent. Thank you, Philip. So what's been unhealthy about the way that we work, and why does this need to change? Well, it's like, how much time do you have? Because it's not a pretty picture. Yeah. So let me start with the extremes. There's sort of uh, one extreme of working nine to five, Monday to Friday, in the same office, sitting at the same desk is distinctly unhealthy. Uh, as we have heard before, it's actually much wider than the sitting is the new smoking. The other type of extreme which I've seen and actually was guilty of uh, of applying is the 24 by 7 anywhere, right? Which is absolutely resulting into workaholism and burnout. We don't want to have that either, no matter if we can technically do it. Then the other thing that is very unhealthy is the... Uh, ongoing lack of breaks or opportunities to energize before, during, or after work. Uh, if you contrast that, for instance, with the world of sports, then energizing is a part of the job. It's not something that you do before or after. Yeah? The other thing that's a big challenge is we are working, a lot of us, in very unhealthy buildings where there is a lack of the basics of the right materials, uh, lack of good quality air or lightning, the lack of nature indoors, um, be it real, presented. Uh, and then there's the constant disruption of uh, noise and uh, I would say uh, acoustics, social media, smartphone notification, messaging apps. And then we have all these commutes that we have been doing, which are expensive, they're draining, they're dangerous, they're frustrating, yeah? And then last but not least, I'm sorry to say, bosses are a big cause of all of this because um, a lot of them have never had any education or experience in the human dimensions of work, be they uh, the psychology of self-directedness, ergonomics or biophilia. So that's just a quick list 
of things I immediately can relate to. So what we're saying is there's a lot of things which are fundamentally unhealthy for human beings, I'm, I'm sorry to say. Wow, I'm all tense just hearing all of that and thinking about how many people are suffering and struggling through all of these rituals and habits that oftentimes we don't question. We say we're going into work. We don't say we're going into the office. You know, work really is an activity and not a place, right, Philip? Exactly. Well, a lot of it has been written down in a book called Dying for a Paycheck, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's actually uh, one of the number one causes of death. Actually, it's the number five uh, reason for death in the United States at this moment. Wow, that really is profound, isn't it? So how has this pandemic become, become an opportunity to evolve our work lives, Philip? Well, as we all have seen over the last six months, it has actually put a big bomb under the traditional office styles of nine to five, Monday to Friday. Yeah, um, the, the big thing that has happened is that, with, in particular in relation to the leadership, is that uh, for those skeptics, those blockers, and those naysayers of flexible working, we have taken their foot off the brake. There is no more uh, need for nudging this kind of approach. Uh, we are now being able to do the big leap. Um, so surprise, surprise, these people are now seeing that it works. You can work uh, remotely. There's benefits. There's potential of working from home. At the same time, there is a realization that a well-designed workspace is much more needed than ever before. Um, it's also seen now that there's a big know-how gap at this very moment. A lot of people think this is actually quite simple stuff. It ain't. You have to understand what social technical work design is about. You have to understand that the leadership aspects of leading at a distance, which is your specialty, mm -hmm. is a subject in its own right, that the infrastructures need to be appreciated. You've got to understand a bit about buildings. You've got to understand about tech and social, and all these things need to be combined. It's also pointing at a number of big potholes, particularly in tech, like we are thinking that all these networks are always like bang on and performing as they, well, they don't, right? And then there is the fast learning that acoustics is so important in our working lives, yeah? And therefore that closed spaces are mega important at home and in the office. And that therefore the landscape office will be big time reduced to the benefit of more private work studios, not just at home, but also in the office where the meeting grounds will be, unless you want to have the meeting ground for business in your living room, but then you need to equip for that. Now, the most important thing to answer that question in summary is that the most important thing is that the way we work is now a boardroom matter. It was never before to this extent. So we got to treasure this because there is the hunger and the desire to do it. And it's our duty to make sure that we help these people. Yes, and I see the ones who are embracing it, figuring out a strategy around the future of work, which is now. Mm -hmm. And then there are the others that are bringing everyone back to the office, back to work, because they, they believe that people need to be together to get work done. And what would your answer be to those organizations that are anxious to get everyone back right away? Well, um, look, uh, th this whole thing around hybrid, right, is all about two things. There is home 
and the office, right? And there is this uh, pointless discussion sometimes about it should be the office, it should be the home. No, it should be a blend of it all. And it doesn't stop by just being in either of those two places. You can be in a co-working space, you can be in nature, you can be in your customer's offices. So what we're saying is that uh, there is um, an oversimplified discussion about this. People need to understand what this takes. And this is our job to understand what this landscape is of smarter working. Yes. And having been like you evangelizing this for many years now, it's just fascinating to see it as a global topic. Um, So really, really interesting. So Philip, your passion for nature at work is fascinating to me. Would you be able to share a few tips on how nature at work helps us as human beings to thrive? Sure. With pleasure. Well, uh, first of all, uh, people need to realize that nature has many benefits as proven by science and experienced by many over decades and centuries. So quickly, um, nature boosts creativity. It gets you into a better productive work sphere. It makes you healthier. It makes you kinder and more generous and it reduces stress. So for all those people which are wondering if this is proven, yes, right? So then the question is, of course, how to? And it's simple. It's about bringing nature into your work life through setting new habits. I'll quickly enumerate these. First of all, we are all by law giving the opportunity to break for work, for lunch, but also sometimes during the day. So my advice is every morning and afternoon, mid point, you should take at least 15, preferably 30 minutes to enjoy nature, preferably outside. When you have a break for lunch, 45 minutes or 60 minutes, do the same thing, outdoors preferred. Now, that's for breaks, right? Then, of course, the question is, how can you integrate nature into your work? And the answer is, you can do it for a lot of things. A meeting, have a walking meeting together properly distance, right? If you have a writer's block moment as a know-how professional, get out for a walk in nature. Nature has so many things to inspire us on. Yeah, I have a tradition of a early morning cycle ride because my brain has been aggregating stuff during the night and there is so much more new things that Uh, these associations bring to me. So for me, it's like my creative shower, right? And even if the weather is bad, it just starts by standing up, going in front of a window and look at nature. Most of us will see a bit of blue or green and that's where it starts. Now, beyond that, uh, it is highly recommended that during the weekend, you go for a weekend outing. I mean, half day or something more and then you need to build in at least once a year an adventure, which, uh, I mean, will take a week plus, 10 days, right? Now, that's all about the habits. Then what is very important is the environment, making sure that nature is with you, yeah? Now, I've done the analysis of the types of activities that we do, white collar work, and I can safely say that 80% of what we do can be done outdoors, yeah? Uh, As you know, there's a whole industry of uh, apparel and all kinds of stuff to be outdoors without freezing or, or without getting soaking wet, yeah? And by the way, I found a new thing called Not Nota Desk, which is a portable desk, which I can take everywhere in a little bag, and I can attach this to a tree and so forth, yeah? So, but the indoors also needs to be blessed with nature. Um, and this can either be by just watching that there is actually nature already 
around your building or actually in the office, a nice plant or something, a nice view, and that you therefore leverage what you have. We have lost the talent to see nature. The second thing is then you can pimp up uh, and bring nature indoors by having a little plant on your desk. What does it cost? $5 or something. Yeah, By making sure that you have a representation of nature on your screensaver, that you have a piece of art that illustrates that, that you have wooden materials and so forth and so forth. And then if you have the money, once every five or 10 years, you can make you could do a big makeover by doing a piece of biophilic design. And biophilic design is integral in the well building standard. Version 2 was launched last week. You can get inspiration from the people in Seattle called the International Future Living Institute. Yeah. So what we're saying is get nature into your routines, get it into your environment, because, and then just leverage it. It's all about experiencing nature, and there's many ways of doing it. Fabulous. And a year ago, I ended up getting a pair of budgie birds. So those beautiful, colorful birds and my family <laughs> said, yeah. why are you doing that, mom? But it really makes you feel like nature is in your home, you know, and the chirping and it, it's it's like being in the jungle. Um, yep. So, so yeah, that's well, you, you a very good point. The sounds of nature are very important. And there's three sounds which are crucial. It's water, wind, and birds, yeah? If you can have these three sounds, uh, even if you just play it back on a reel, that's, that's good enough. Beautiful. Just even talking about this relaxes me, yet when we were talking about the commute time and all that, I felt myself getting <laughs> tense. So it's really, really fascinating, Philip. So what would be your top recommendation uh, for today's organizations to evolve into better places to work? Yeah, well, it has to do with people learning these things and understanding them, right? Um, mm -hmm. Just taking back what I recently helped an organization with, I would say it starts by understanding the principles of humane work. What are the human dimensions of organizations? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, number two, it's about making sure that work design becomes a discipline in organizations, right? I think a lot of time has been spent these days on digital transformation, where there is a disproportionate attention to how we're going to digitize stuff. But frankly, uh, fully automated companies are way off uh, for some people. So therefore, making sure that the social aspect of work design is integrated becomes important. Yeah. Now, it's also about understanding rituals. I've just, um, um, well, created a little riddle for me about the most important know-how rituals. Bear with me for a moment. I, it's, uh, it's an acronym EASY. So the first ritual for that is important today is energizing. We already covered that. Then the first work ritual is authoring. A lot of what we do personally is about um, good listening to what needs happening. I would say finding best practice, curating that, formulating new ideas, solving problems and so forth. So this whole authoring part, which is more than just journalism, becomes very important. Once that is done, we need to move on to sell and present things with, with conviction, with passion, with storytelling. And then there is the interacting. And interacting is very different from meeting. It's genuinely being together to exchange and solve challenges and make decisions rather than just listening to a broadcast. So the riddle of work that has to do with energizing, altering, selling, and interacting is very important for people to master. It has to do with concentration, with curiosity, and so forth. Yeah. So once all of that is understood in terms of what work entails, 
details, then all the infrastructure elements need to be understood to a generic level. And in all this, I would say to people, do not reinvent the wheel. This has been done by people over the past one or two decades multiple times. Make sure that those generic kind of elements are understood and then season them and spice them for your own organization. Yeah. Now, once that is done and you have that understanding, you start the project, which of course requires energetic, positive servant leadership. If you do not drive this as a leader, you will be a fake and people will just see it. Once that is done, mm-hmm. you got to um, basically assign HR as the champion and the people that have the duty to bring that in because we're talking about humans working together, not robots here. That's the reason why I think they have a duty with HR no longer to be managing human resources, but to strive and enable human realization at a consolidated level. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So they should be the custodians of human dimensions of work, even if they say they've got zillions of other things to do. Yeah? Now, very important is also to um, size up and measure where exactly an organization is. That's what you guys are doing on, on the people side with distributed leader profiles, distributed work assessment and so forth, and the same thing for team dynamics. But that's the same thing that Leesman is doing for the space, uh, I would say, context. Not just measuring where a company, a company is and the gap to be addressed, but also to benchmark versus others. Yeah, And then once that is done, it's all about animating, educating, giving tools, seeking involvement, recruiting and appointing ambassadors, and of course, seeking lighthouses in your organization where people say, ah, these guys got it. We love what they're doing. We also would like to have the support and the toys and the budgets to do that kind of stuff. You got to tease people. Frankly, those people that are naysayers, I say to them, sorry, guys, I got other people which want to do it. I'll move on with them first. And then you're going to come and ask me on your knees if you also can join in with uh, with the change. Yeah. <laughs> I love the passion. And I, I think your sense of humor goes a long way, uh, too. I think we need to laugh at, at sometimes by stepping away from how organizations run and, and saying, you know, what, what are we doing, right? You know, driving in a metal box every day on slippery roads. I mean, here in Canada, in the winter, you're not working outside, <laughs> at least for certain periods of time. Although we get a lot of sun where we are, so there's no reason you can't go for a walk most days and bundle up. But it's it's that commute. It's, it's soul-sucking activity when you're commuting in bumper-to-bumper traffic, getting yourself downtown to the concrete jungle, I call it, and... And then sitting in a cubicle for eight hours only to repeat the commute process. So, yeah, there, there needs to be a better way. Yes. Philip, what does work-life wellness, so the term work-life wellness, look like for you personally? Yeah, that, well, frankly, um, that, that's, uh, I never had this question asked to me, so I had to think about this. So, well, I think it actually um, starts by knowing who you are, um, what do you want to uh, achieve, and then thinking about how you're going to go about it, right? So, I have always been a strong believer about self-directedness uh, in my career at large, and then also within the duties that come within the job yeah so i i've i've taken a lot of time to appreciate my strengths and my weaknesses um and and the kind of power and limits of my personality um and 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 i have a mission um and 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 my mission 
fuels my passion, which is my hobby. Uh, and I, my challenge is to make sure to do that within the limits uh, so that those people which I uh, love and care for significant others are not getting, uh, I would say, damaged by this uh, passion. So, But I've, I've been instructed back a couple of years ago by the Mentally Fit Institute, which, which has really learned me how to... Um, recharge my battery. So for instance, on the intellectual side, you know this, Laura, I read a lot, I network, and I curate some of the best stuff. That's fantastic. Uh, on the physical side, for decades now, I know that exercise, good nutrition, and sleep is important. From the emotional side, I've learned over the years to control or let go of my emotions. Um, I, my technique is quite simple. I do regular planning. I update that once a week. I assess where I'm going. I'm very critical for myself. And um, I, I've learned not to worry about things that I cannot influence. Yeah. On the spiritual side, um, I was raised uh, in, a, in a traditional Catholic environment as an altruist and an organizer. And that basically drives me sharing a lot of things with people for free. Yeah. And um, I, I must say that... Uh, I have a human fabric, which uh, which is as follows. I mean, first of all, I'm 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 ever so curious, right? I want to learn about things, about history, about people. Um, I'm I'm a maven in the sense that I I like to learn and study. Uh, when I learn something which is interesting, I apply it, I test drive it, I retain the better parts, and if it produces good results, I'm you can't stop me. I'm going to start evangelizing about it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm selling it. I'm seducing. I'm cajoling. I'm convincing people. And, and that's what I do at this very moment. Yeah. So, and that, that brought me to what I'm currently doing, which I'm, I'm, a, I'm a taught and a practice leader, as you said, in everything smart working and careers. So, uh, but, but it's, it, it is um, uh, behind that, there's a kind of work ethic of a freelancer. Yeah, which I actually think is the way forward for everybody. Um, I mean, on average, people have uh, an 18-month uh, change of their duty or their stint. So that means that in our lives, which are going to be something like 50 years of work life, we're going to have to do 30-plus kind of iterations in this cycle. And therefore, if, if you don't have self-directedness of your career in there, well, you might not end up realizing all your potential. Mm-hmm. And every day at the Calgary and Canada career counseling practices that that we run, you're just experiencing people who are unfulfilled, unhappy, and uncertain. And I think what really stands out with you, Philip, is you're in the third third of your career, which is a whole new stage of your career. Yep. A lot of people, when they retire from corporate life, they say, okay, I'm retiring, it's done. But then they're not stimulating their mind, body and spirit properly, especially no. their mind. And what strikes me is you're continuing to be a curator of knowledge, a sharer of information, a mentor, a coach, a speaker, an influencer. <laughs> the list goes on. And I hope that my third third of career can be similar to yours. Well, it, it's a lot about give and take. And at a point in time, you actually become a magnet for these things, right? And, and a lot of people share things and they pass it by you. They ask your opinion, but you get a lot from other people. So it just, I would say, it just fuels itself. It's fun. Absolutely. So thank you for sharing a bit about your own personal life. And I, I really think Europe, in a lot of ways, um, is ahead in certain thinking about work and life, which is, which is why it was really exciting to get Philip as one of my mentors coming from the Europe perspective. 
Mm-hmm. My next question is, what has been your greatest challenge? Because I know life is full of curveballs and bumps. So what's been your challenge with work-life wellness and how you've overcome that challenge? Yeah, well, so um, I grew up in a family where where basically the word leisure was not part of vocabulary, right? My dad was working, um, even in the weekends, he brought customers home and, and what have you. But and it, was, it was fun too. It was not uh, duress in any way. So I realized uh, uh, quite early on, I had to avoid getting into the same trap of becoming a workaholic, right? Because that would damage myself and others. And then um, I was just fortunate to be in a number of places where I, I got the right... I would say, input and recommendations early on. For instance, uh, early in my 30s, I was working for a company in the Netherlands, Wang Laboratories, and they had an in-company gym. And they saw that I had a surplus of energy in the morning getting to work. And I said, Philip, why don't you come in an hour earlier? You'll beat the traffic jams, and we'll just make sure that you are really um, in good shape physically and then siphon off all the excess energy that is not productive. So... Mm -hmm. I'd say ever since then, I've been in a gym, right? Number two, um, I, because I was uh, leaving my home country, Belgium, sort of mid-30s, um, I'm curious as I am and having two, two young boys, we, we always were in the weekend in nature um, or in museums and discovering stuff. So we've always been out and about, but I say only in the weekend. Then um, I... I think it's 15 years ago uh, when I was at Plantronics, um, I felt there was a need uh, for people to be in better shape, quote unquote. And I uh, had heard about Vilife, which is a combination of la vie and life. Uh, and, uh, and this was an initiative by uh, a former Formula One um, uh, racer, Alain Prost, who had a program where he said, uh, people need to be upscaled on the topic of nutrition, stress, uh, exercise and sleep. And we had a whole program that gave a lot of benefits and I benefited of it, uh, of course, myself. Then five years ago, you remember, uh, Laura, I, I was getting wind of what your organization was doing and through the Distributed Leader Profiler, uh, I and a lot of my team got a very good insight in the kind of things that we had to still improve on. Yeah? Immediately thereafter, I actually got in touch with the, the Mentally Fit Institute in Belgium, which is now Mentally Fit Global. And we got a, a, a full, I would say, blessing of what a corporate athlete is all about uh, across spiritual, intellectual, and all the kind of things. And, and that helped a lot too. Then in, in the slipstream of that, I, um, I, I basically discovered what biophilia is all about. I applied myself and then with Rolando Bailly, uh, two and a half years ago, we started on the power of nature at work. So what you see is I've been fortunate that I've always been able to pick up things just before the proverbial shit was hitting the fan for me. So in that sense, I've, I've never really had a, a major exposure, but it was written in the stars because we, I, I know I've seen uh, the, the profiles, the personas of people that will burn out. They are people like us too, because mm-hmm. we are idealistic and we, our brains want to do more than our bodies can sustain, right? So therefore, the faster you have these routines, the better. But I've never really had a period in my life, I think, that was uh, an area of concern in that sense. Wow. And I think, yes, we're we're both prone to it. And I think a lot of high achievers are prone to workaholism and burnout. And 
I think the communication technology and the constant barrage of information is just at an all-time high right now. And yeah, it takes a real diligent effort and Mm -hmm. oftentimes getting supports and helps into your life when you see see yourself going down the path to burnout, when you start to become cynical, exhausted, you start to get physically ill, your immune system is down, etc. It's a vicious circle going down. (sighs) Yes. But it's, it's learning those warning signs, I think. And, and yep. you've been good at staying a step ahead of those. And I think we can all learn uh, from hearing you, Philip, me included. So my next question is, what would you do if you didn't need to sleep? And you could use that extra seven or eight hours, I'm going to assume, to do whatever else you wanted. What would you do with that gift of extra time, Philip? Well, first of all, um, uh, I would like to immediately put you right by saying that uh, I'm, I've gotten very good at appreciating what my sleep does. In fact, I believe that good sleep is there to shape your wisdom, right? But let's park that. Your question is basically imagine that you had yeah. another bucket of time. Well, the answer is, and it's been consistent for a long time, is I, I love the thought of being able to be a movie director. Why? Because um, there's a lot of creativity and storytelling involved. Uh, It brings talent together, resources, often uh, a lot of money. And therefore, as a manager, to be able to be at the pinnacle of creativity and managing talent and resources seems like wonderful. Now, um, I, I'm actually uh, thinking that maybe I need to do some of that or at least call upon people in that practice because because of the evangelization that needs to happen around smarter working, it might very well be that I need to leverage the kind of film and documentary kind of thing. I'll tell you something. I was uh, having an um, Italian um, state television network come and visit an office that I had helped to conceive in Paris. And we had a very fluent kind of interview on video. And at lunchtime over a sushi box, he said to me, he said, Philip, all the things that you're passionate about? I said, yes, smarter customer interaction. And I said, I have actually the blueprint for a book for that too. And he says, well, he said, man, you got to think twice before you're writing the book because that's very hard work. He said, you should do a documentary, right? And uh, you know what? Actually, with you starting your podcast with this very interview, Laura, you're ahead of me, right? Because you've seen that there is other means of conveying vital ideas to people. Uh, and you're moving on to the spoken word, but then in, in, in a vodcasting kind of style, right? So I think, therefore, I got to be more serious about uh, making that wish come true. And that's fascinating. I've been uh, introduced to film producers and people in Hollywood and... Um, a, a writer lives in the place that I'm filming right now, um, and he's writing a television series. So it's just really interesting. These people come into your life, I think, for a reason. And yeah, I have no doubt that you will do something and the right connections will, will come, Philip. Because I do think you have a documentary in you and a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> let's work on it but- together. Yes, absolutely. But you do need the sleep. And I'm, I'm guessing you don't cut corners on sleep because you see the value of it. And I think a lot of people struggle with sleep. So do you have any tips around that that you've learned through um, your life about that? Well, I think, first of all, there's nothing uh, as good as being naturally tired, not necessarily exhausted. That's one. Uh, number two is just making sure that you go to bed not too late. 
right? Um, and I mean, it, it, it is also a known factor that as we age, we can actually uh, do with less sleep, uh, which is dangerous for me because I know how to fill <laughs> that time. Uh, but I, 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 I actually clock seven hours uh, more or less consistently every night, and it's fantastic. Um, I mean, I wake up naturally without any stimulus. Then I uh, basically spend another half hour just having all the ideas uh, fall into the right place, and then I'm saying, hey, I got to get out now to basically get a piece of paper and just... <laughs> Get going with ideas. Yeah. No, I, it's enjoyable. That's great to hear someone talk about sleep like that. I think that a lot of people listening will appreciate that and be inspired to hear it, that there is a better way. Well, and let's face it, it's well known that if you have a bit of exercise every day, right? Like yesterday, mm-hmm. I was going with Rosemary on a walk on the beach here. I mean, we were, we were walking in dunes for half an hour. I mean, it will definitely tire you out sufficiently. You have a good night of sleep. It's guaranteed almost. <laughs> and if you could have one wish for a better world when it comes to work and life, the intersection of work and life, what would it be? Uh, Well, I think there is a massive need for education on human dimensions of organizations uh, for people which are studying as much as for people which have been uh, in the active business leadership role. Uh, It is a big concern of mine that most of the business schools and even the follow-on programs are not catering for that. In fact, um, I'm increasingly uh, getting impatient about that topic. There's something strange in this world. If you want to drive a bus, you need a driving license. You wouldn't go to a financial advisor unless he's certified, right? Um, and, and here we are. I mean, we can just make people from one day to another uh, a leader of people, which is supposed to drive, as in motivate, by Daniel Pink, people. I mean, this is nonsense, right? So I would like there to be something like a leadership driving license, whereby we are stopping allowing people to be managed by people which don't know the foundations of it and haven't actually been tested for it. So for me, a leadership driving license, yeah, whereby you can be a manager of people because you don't have that certificate um, is what I would love to see. And I've been working on that my whole career, not the driver's license, but helping them learn how to drive and my team helping them learn how to drive. And it's definitely an endless uh, quest. Um, And I think it's a gift to be able to lead people. It's a gift to be able to influence, lead and mentor people. But too often that gift is being not treated with the right level of respect and the right level of training. And it, it can damage people. It can damage their mental health, their emotional health. It can damage their self-confidence. And I've seen it time and time again. So, yeah, we well, go uh, ahead. In, in Belgium, it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's identified as probably the number one cause for burnouts is the boss itself, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the, the other thing which is concerning is because it is such lack of good people leadership is that a lot of younger people don't aspire to be people leaders because they don't want to be that kind of boss that they have enjoyed. Uh, and, and therefore, we need, to, we need to invite young people to be open-minded, to be able to coach and help and be a servant leader of others because we need leaders, right? I mean, not everybody is born to be self-directed. I, I would guess, well, you, you know better than I, but most probably there's only one out of five people which is truly self-directing in their work lives at this very moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So 
Wow, we've covered a lot of ground today. And I mean, what really stood out for me is talking about how the world of work needs to change. And we're already on a course of change through this pandemic. It's been a huge pilot of flexible and remote work. And we're seeing all kinds of reactions to it. But I think most importantly, humans are really realizing that they can be a human being, not a human doing. And a human Mm -hmm. being who experiences nature, brings nature into their work, takes care of their physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional health. Um, And that we're not just computers, right, to be plugged in and seated all day (laughs) at a desk. (laughs) And instead, we are beings that can be more creative, innovative, thoughtful, caring, if we're able to function in a more holistic, healthy way. Would you agree? Absolutely. Well phrased, well phrased. We've got to work it out, uh, Laura. We sure do, but it's it's an exciting journey, and I'm really uh, glad to be doing this podcast and being able to interview brilliant people like you, and the world needs more brilliant people and creative thought because we're in a difficult position in the world. It's difficult times, it's uncertain, there's a lot of problems and challenges, but if we think creatively and take care of our minds, bodies, spirits, we can can conquer the challenges. Well, the good news, Laura, is that there's actually a lot of people which 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 can help sharing their experiences. So I will definitely be there with you to make sure that there is a good supply or recommendation of people that you can get to your podcast, right? Because uh, this it's, this it's, look often I say to people I don't like it when you say to me that I'm an expert in the future of work. I mean the future is a relative thing, right? What some people are not yet doing. Uh, maybe for them the future, but it can be something that is well-oiled and proven by others. So I therefore typically refuse to be called an expert of the future of work, right? Rather, I'm a person that recommends the way of working that has been proven to be better, right? Great. Well, thank you again, Philip, for being a I'm going to call you an expert on work, <laughs> but uh, an influencer when it comes to proven and evidence-based methods of working and being better as people and as, as humans. Yeah. Congratulations on uh, this initiative with the podcast, uh, Laura. Thank you. And stay well, Philip. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you found this content useful, please share with others who may benefit and engage with us on social media. In the podcast summary, you'll find links to my psychology practices, Work Evolution, Canada Career Counseling, and Synthesis Psychology for more detailed information, articles, and tips. I hope you have a wonderful, healthy day, and thank you for joining us.